Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. On the agenda this week, going to be having a chat about Leo Major. You may have heard of this bloke before. Very, very famous fighter in the Second World War from Quebec in Canada. Got it up to all sorts of ridiculous, you know, action movie hero stuff nonsense uh, in, in while fighting over in Europe during the Second World War. And we're going to get across it today because his story really is a remarkable one. And there's geez, plenty, plenty of very, very silly nonsense he got up to as well. So let's get across it right now. Kicking things off, of course... With the beginning of his life in 1921, he's born on the 23rd of January 1921 in New Bedford in Massachusetts. But he didn't stick around there uh, for, for very long because his parents, right, they're both French-Canadian. And within a year of him being born, they move back up to Canada, you know, so they can go back to ice fishing hockey pucks out of a frozen lake on the back of a moose or, I don't know, what, whatever you do up there. I, I'm really, you know, not 100% au fait with Canadian culture, as you can tell. Anyway, they set up shop in Montreal and Leo grows up as a, as a proud Quebecois. Although he doesn't get on with his old man at all. They, they have a very, very bad relationship. And, and he ends up moving out of home uh, uh, at the age of 14. Leo, not his dad, that is. A bit, bit too late for his dad to move out at the age of 14 by this stage. Um, and he lives with his auntie. The, again, the Leo, not the dad. Uh, Leo lives with his auntie until he's all grown up. Now, in 1940, he joins up with the Canadian Army to fight in the Second World War. And uh, there, are a few, there are a couple of different reasons. It's not 100% clear why he did this, why he chose to, to sign. I mean, you know, not, a, not an odd thing to do for many men at that age at the time. Um, but, uh, you know, the exact reasons why Leo Major joined up as a, you know, as a, as a 19, as a 20-year-old uh, at this age was, you know, a couple of different things are put forward. The most obvious one, of course, is there's just nothing else to do. All, all the employment is, is being, is very, has become very scarce. And, and, of course, there's an enormous amount of pressure, as I say, for, for men at this, uh, at this age to join the army. But the second reason that, that people put forward is more of a psychological one. They say that it, it, it may come back to his, his sort of, you know, the, the broken relationship with his dad and he, he joined up maybe to prove himself to his old man or something like that. Anyway, doesn't matter why. The point is he joins the Canadian Army and he's off to, uh, you know, he's all signed up as a soldier, uh, completes his training and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, and, and after all that, he's, uh, he's ready to get shipped off. Now, he's part of the, the uh, Regiment de la Chaudière, uh, which literally translates to the Regiment of the Water Heater, so he's really on a burner straight away. Really good uh, regiment you pick there, Leo, uh, old mate. The, the the regiment of the of the bloody kettle, fantastic. Anyway, he takes part in the D Day landing in uh, in Normandy on the sixth of June in nineteen forty four, of course. And he lands with the rest of the Canadian troops. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, this bastard he leaps straight into action. He's not there to make friends, and uh, he gets straight to straight to the point like this because he's mainly put to work as a scout. And so after his landing, he's sent off on, on a bit of recon, a bit of shifty of what's going on, but you know, suss out the situation with those those damn damn bloody Germans on the other side of them cliffs. What's going on there? Now he doesn't just do his recon, however. He says, bugger this, I'm going for the gold. I'm going to shoot straight for the stars here. Because uh, while he's sneaking around doing his recon, he comes uh, across a German Hanamag, which essentially looked like you know, a, a tank crossed with a, a Toyota Hilux. It's a huge, big, uh, big beefy vehicle uh, that uh, you know, the Germans were using to get around. And he says, aha, look at this. I'll snag that one. No worries. Take on this armoured vehicle all by myself. Not a problem at all. Here we go. Let's get it done. And in the first example of what will become a, a very obvious habit for this uh, this crazy prick here, he somehow captures this Hanamag without a worry. 
As a prize, he brings back the communication equipment and the secret German codes that were inside this vehicle, which is a huge victory for this young bloke. So he's fresh off the boat. He's, he's done his training. He's got, you know, jumped in, uh, jumped in, chucking punches around with both fists here as, uh, you know, as, as someone landing on the D-Day things. He goes and just captures an armoured car by himself and brings back these, these, these marvellous booty of these German, uh, German codes. So he's, he's kicking goals with both feet. He's having a great time already. His war is really, really treating him very, very well indeed. Anyway. A couple of days later, right? Obviously, he gets the pat on the back from the uh, from the commanders, all that sort of stuff. Well done, Leo, old son. Good job, right? Get get yourself back out there, because a couple of days later, that's just what's happened. He's sent off scouting again, and oh no, what's this? This time he runs into an SS patrol. So the SS, the Schutzstaffel, these guys, you know, the the sort of elite cadre of the uh, of the the Nazi German uh, soldier base, essentially. So one of these SS bastards, right? They manages to get uh, manages to get Leo with this bloody these phosphorus grenade, right, which almost completely blinds Leo in one eye. But in what is one of history's best examples of you should have seen the other bloke, Leo manages to kill four of these Nazi pricks on patrol. So it's not so much an eye for an eye here as it is an eye for the lives of four of these bastards, which isn't a bad trade, I have to say. It's not a bad trade. Anyway, apparently Leo, he didn't care about losing an eye at all. He reckoned he only needed one eye to aim his rifle. And, uh, and years later, in a, in a newspaper interview, he actually said, he said to the newspaper, people said, oh, it'd make me look like a pirate. So he, seemed to, he actually seemed to be pretty into the whole deal of having lost an eye here. Anyway, he obviously gets his, uh, gets his career off to, uh, as a soldier to, to an absolute flyer. You know, he's, he's capturing armoured vehicles. He, he's killing these Nazis. He's having a great time. He's, he's really doing he's, he, As I say, firing at all cylinders, this bloke, absolute hero. But it just gets better. Because later on in October and November of 1944, so remember D-Day was in June and we've now moved towards the end of 1944, uh, the Battle of the Scheldt is taking place. And old mate Leo, he's getting amongst it, of course, sneaking around, doing his recon, you know, doing all that stuff that he's known for, uh, getting amongst it. And uh, if you believe it, he actually wore sneakers instead of the regulation army boots while he's stalking around through enemy territory, uh, you know, to keep the noise down. He's just popped, he's popped his bloody pumped up kicks on there like that so he can run faster than the, 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 the opposing bullets without, uh, you know, without being seen. I, I just love the, the thought of someone there in full army camo, all that sort of stuff, and then just, you know, the freshest pair of Nike high tops there on his feet. I, 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 it's a very, very pleasing mental image. Anyway, uh, let's not forget... He's a one-eyed French-Canadian here who's creeping through the Belgian woods in an eye patch and bloody tennis shoes as well. So, again, it's a very, it's a very romantic image of what was going on in the Second World War. Anyway, he's out in a boot, and it's, uh, it's bloody cold, I'll tell you that. So he sneaks into a house by a dike to warm himself up in a, you know, and chill out for a bit one night when he's out on the recon. Chilly, chilly night there in October and November, and you know, heading towards winter there in, uh, in the Netherlands, or in Belgium, sorry. Cold in the Netherlands as well. Cold everywhere in bloody Europe. It's ridiculous. It just doesn't. It doesn't warm up in this stupid continent. Anyway, while he's hanging out in this house, he uh, he, he spots these two German soldiers around on patrol. And he thinks, "Ah, look at these bastards. I'll go and give, go and give them proper what for here. Go and give them something to think about." And so he sneaks up again on his, you know, in his bloody Adidas Copper Mundials. He sneaks up on this uh, on this first soldier and he decks him, and then does the old Sam Fisher splinter cell move and uses him as bait. To get to the other one as well, so you know he drags the body he goes like this, and the bloke comes over and then he knocks him out as well like this. So with the two of them disarmed and under his control, Leo frog marches them straight back to their captain. Right now, I don't know what he says to this bloke. No, sorry, just just make things very clear. He's marched the Germans back to their captain, not to his captain. He hasn't marched them back to the Allies. He's marched them back to the Nazis here, these two blokes that he's captured. He marches them just bold as brass back to their captain. And again, I don't know what he says to this officer, 
but he gets him to start thinking about surrendering to the Canadians that are just down the road. And what happens next is ridiculous. While Leo is standing there with these captives, chatting to the German commanding officer, they get spotted by some of these nasty bastards from the SS. We know that the, the SS were you know, the worst of the worst when it came to the, you know, this period of German history. And these SS mongrels, they open fire on Leo, but unsurprisingly, I'm sure you won't be surprised to hear this, they also attempt to shoot the Germans that he's talking to as it's clear that they're contemplating surrender. So these absolute bastards from the SS, they end up making them up, you know, they make up the mind of the commanding officer for him. His choice is either surrender or be shot by the SS for even thinking about surrendering. So he makes the smart choice and surrenders his entire detachment, almost 100 soldiers, to this silver-tongued Canadian devil who has just come up to them with two of his blokes. They look, I captured these blokes. Imagine what I'm going to do with the rest of you. You better get your hands on your heads. Come back down with me to the Canadians. We've got some poutine. We've got some maple syrup, I guess, also that we brought over at great expense. I don't know. The point is, it's going to be great. We're going to have a great time. We'll sit down and listen to Justin Bieber, Alanis Morissette. Well, actually, no, Nickelback. No, okay, no. We won't, we won't play any Canadian music for you, but all the same, if you just come and, you know, hang out, chill out with us, we'll, we'll treat you right. You know, you know what Canadians are like. We'll look after you. Don't worry about it. Anyway. So, old mate Leo, marching back to where his division is hanging out and trailing behind him are 93 Germans that he is convinced to surrender single-handedly to this Canadian detachment. And obviously, you know, he is... uh, People's hands are getting sore for all the pats on the back that they're giving him like this because he can't believe it. His superiors can't believe it. He's nominated for the DCM, the Distinguished Conduct Medal. But get this, this stone-cold ice king, he refuses the medal because he doesn't like the bloke who's supposed to give it to him. Leo thinks that Field Marshal Bernard Montgomery is a real dickhead and has his head stuck a long way up his own ass, and so he refuses to accept this medal from him. Check out the stones on this bloke. Unbelievable. But it doesn't stop there for Leo. Even after having, you know, turned down this this great honour, this uh, you know, this 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 DCM, the Distinguished Conduct Medal, from this bloke who he thinks is a bit of a wanker, uh, his war continues on, and he doesn't stop fighting until the bitter end. I'll tell you this much, because in April 1945, the Regiment of the Water Heater, they're up and about in Svolle, which is uh, out east of Amsterdam in the Netherlands. So we have moved into Holland now. And uh, Leo's there along with him, and of course he volunteers to head out and get up to his usual tricks, doing a bit of recon on the on the quite significant German force in the town of Zwolle there. Um, now this time, he's not going in solo. He brings along his mate, uh, Willy Arsenault, with him, right? Now their job is to check out the town, see what's going on with the Nazis, how many there are, what they're working with, and also, if possible, to get in touch with the Dutch resistance and see what they've got cooking there as well. Now these two sly bastards, they've got something else in mind rather than just recon, I'll tell you this. Because Leo... He comes up to his mate, Willie, and he says, how are you, mate? Good to have you along. Let's get underway. Have a bloody squeeze at this little townski here, mate. And, w- and Willie says, look, mate, absolutely. Bloody stoked to be working with you. Love the sneakers. Love the eye patch. You're looking a million bloody bucks, mate. It's look, it, you know, you, you're really, you're kitted out, ready to go. And Leo says, cheers, big fella. Thanks for that. Now, listen to this, you dopey bastard, because I've got an, an idea that I want to run by you, and I think it's a red hot cracker. And Willie goes, oh, mate, let me hear it. You know, what, what are you cooking up? What do you got, what do you got going? Uh, Leo goes, mate, listen. Let me ask you a question. And Willie goes, yeah, all right, yeah, okay, all right, by all means, what's up? What's up, old son? And Leo goes, listen, you bloody hate these Nazi bastards, don't you? And Willie goes, mate, I cannot stand, I cannot bloody stand them. They are just the worst dudes. They are the worst blokes. They bloody piss me off. Quite honestly, they can get stuffed. Honestly, I know that's very harsh, but quite honestly, they can just get stuffed, all right? And Leo says, 
mate, you are absolutely right. They can get stuffed. And I'll tell you who is going to get them stuffed, right? It is you and it is me, right? And Willie says, mate, is that so? We're going to give him the old, we're going to give the old Nazi one too, are we? And, uh, and Leo goes, absolutely, mate. We are going to absolutely give it to them. Bugger this recon business. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to get in there and we're going to capture this whole town ourselves. And Willie stands there and he looks at him. His mouth's open. He can't believe what, uh, what Leo's saying. Capturing the whole town by himself. And he turns to him and he says, Leo, mate. I bloody love this idea. I love this idea. I am 100% on board. Let's go and tear it up, get it done, and be home in time for tea. So off they go, sneaking into Twilight, dead of night, and they are, you know, it's some pretty big bloody plans to take the town single-hand, well, not single-hand, I guess like double-handedly, quadruple They've got four hands, so I guess between the, four, between the, the two of them with the four hands, quadruple-handedly. Doesn't sound quite as impressive. Single-handedly, probably a better way to say it. All the same, you understand what I'm saying. These guys are going to take the town by themselves, just the two of them. What... You know, check out the stones on these blokes, as I said. Anyway, things get off to an absolutely terrible start, however. This is a, you know, things kind of go wrong from, from the get-go there. When uh, poor old Willie uh, steps on a stick or something and alerts some nearby German soldiers as to where they are and, uh, and they start bloody shooting. So, you know, he's walked on the, on the, old, on the old crunchy stick there and uh, all of a sudden the Germans know where they're at. Now, unfortunately, again, it only gets worse here because poor old Willie, after, you know, being on board with this whole, you know, grand plan to take the town, he's actually cut down and killed by the gunfire uh, but uh, what this does is engage Leo in his beast mode because he does not like what uh, these Nazis have done to his mate. And so he goes into a, a killing frenzy and uh, picks up Willie's machine gun and leaps at these German soldiers, furiously attacking them in this, you know, pink mist-induced uh, barbarian rage here. He, is, uh, he slays two of them uh, in swift and terrible retribution, and the others leg it quick smart and escape from this furious Canadian berserker. Anyway, Leo, he's heartbroken. He's heartbroken about his mate uh, Willie eating lead like this. But all the same, he decides the show must go on. And so he just uh, continues into Tzvala. Um, and he's creeping, the, creeping, creeping, creeping through the town. Sneaky is anything like this. Buddy, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible, Balaclava on, tennis shoes on, sneaking through the town like this. And uh, until he spots a German soldier in a car outside a tavern. And this time he does the old Michael DeSanta from GTA, scares the, the, you know, the bejesus out of this guy as he sat at the wheel of the car drags him out, takes this bloke prisoner and says to him, mate, I'll tell you what, it is thirsty work this driving around, isn't it? Let's head into this tavern together. And, uh, and the driver says, uh, mate, my boss is in there having a few cold ones, bloody inglorious bastards going on. I'd really rather not go in there, to be honest with you, as your prisoner. It's going to be a pretty bad look for me. And Leo goes, shut your trap, you stupid wanker. Let's get in there, get a brewski into us, have a good time. So sure enough, Leo goes into the tavern with this prisoner and he finds the German officer there, again, sinking cold ones with the landlord. Landlord, And Leo says, oh, yeah, right, mate, how you going? Got your dickhead chauffeur here, hand over that pistol or I'm going to blow his head off. And the officer complies, hands over his weapon and says, and, and, and if, you, if you believe this, he says to him, all right, mate, have a seat, no worries, let's have a chinwag, have a chat about things. And they start, they have a beer together and they're talking about the war. Just that, you know, this, this Nazi officer and Leo, this bloke, yeah, absolutely off his mind, you know, out of his mind sitting there talking with the enemy. Anyway, this officer speaks perfect French because he's from uh, Alsace-Lorraine, which is a heavily French-influenced part of Nazi Germany. And as it happens, this bloke, he's not a huge fan of Hitler and he's continued, you know, insanity uh, as he's losing this tenuous grip on reality that he had uh, in, his, in his Berlin bunker here as the war is obviously not going very well for the Nazis at this stage. And sniffing at an opportunity here, now, our cunning mate, Leo, he plays a very, very risky hand. He says to the officer, listen, mate, we've got a huge contingent of allied soldiers. They're getting ready to attack Zvala and run you bastards out of here. That's why I was here to sort of, you know, run the numbers, see who was here, see what was going on. And we've got this massive fighting force ready to come in and absolutely take this town uh, to the cleaners here. 
He says, look, mate, they could really you know, attack at any time, like a bloody plasticine animal they are. And, uh, and, and you, you know, you, it's a beautiful town. Listen, you know, beautiful town. Raising it to the ground would be, a, you know, just a rubbish result for anyone. We, we, we don't want that. You don't want that. So let's, let's see if we can make a deal here. Then get this. Unbelievable. He hands the officer back his pistol and suggests he orders a German evacuation, drains his jar, and strides out of the place. And this is not even the most unbelievable part of the whole story, because do you know what he does after this? I actually, I hope, I actually, I, I guess, I hope you don't know what happens because it kind of ruins the whole reveal, to be honest. If you do know, but what he ha- what happens here is Leo heads out to the streets of the town and just lets rip. He starts firing Willie's machine gun like a crazy man than his own. Then he picks up a German one from the bloke that he kills and starts using that. He skirmishes with the German patrols and even detonates the grenades that he's carrying to make it seem like the town is under attack. He also happens to find the SS headquarters there in Zwolle. And as you probably already guessed, this means bad news for the eight Nazi pricks who are inside because he bursts in and nails four of them right off the bat. He later claims to have only only having one eye actually helped him see in the dark and get the jump on these bastards. So you know that he's just on some, just absolutely on a next level. Um, anyway, the other four make a run for it. And when he searches the corpses of the SS men, he finds the list of names of the local Dutch people, of, of some local Dutch people, and starts kicking himself that he didn't get to kill all eight of these SS bastards. Because at this point, now with the SS contingent fleeing the town and enough other Nazi soldiers killed on patrol or scared enough to report the town as being under attack, this officer that Leo had met down at the bar, he decides to pull his men out as he's been warned of this impending attack earlier by Leo. So he thinks the attack has come. He's going, right, we're getting the hell out of Dodge here. The Germans undertake a full-scale retreat in the middle of the night, meaning that when the sun comes up the next morning, Zwolle has been liberated from the Nazis single-handedly by Leo Major and no one else. Now, on his way out of town, on after this staggering achievement, after he has done this all by himself, on his way out of town, Leo tries to chat with some of the local townspeople, but they are, you know, obviously they're crapping their dacks as well, because even the bloke he meets from the resistance, they're pretty wary of this one-eyed bloke with three machine guns on his back. Anyway, he goes back to Willie's corpse, and uh, to finish things off for the evening, he takes it back to where his regiment is camped and arrives, exhausted after his busy night on the town at nine o'clock in the morning. This then means that the Canadians, they can march into Tzvala without firing a single bullet, and they are greeted joyfully by the local Dutch people when they realise this terrifying madman with the eye patch is actually, surprisingly, one of the good guys. Usually the eye patch is a pretty clear indication you're a bad guy. Not so with Leo Major. Anyway, for his exploits in Swalla, Leo was again recommended for the DCM, and this time he is not able to refuse. They frog march him up there at the top of the stage and pin it straight on his chest, and so he duly becomes a decorated war hero. Now, this isn't the end of the story of Leo Major. Even after the Second World War, he does continue to fight. Uh, He goes on to fight in the Korean War and ends up snagging another DCM in 1951. He still worked as a scout, as a sniper, and he was the leader of this elite squad that was ordered to capture a hill from the Chinese at one point. This is probably the, you know, the most interesting story to come of his, his career as, as a soldier in, in the Korean War. Now, obviously, he does this, no worries. He, taking a hill with 18 other men is child's play for a bloke who was captured an entire town by himself. But an hour later, the Chinese counterattack with 14,000 soldiers, and Leo is, order, uh, is ordered to retreat. But obviously... He doesn't. He's Leo Major. He's got 18 other blokes. He doesn't. 14,000 people? Easy. Hold them off with one hand tied behind his back. He doesn't retreat until all of his squad mates are sufficiently covered to be able to retreat safely 
defending his position through the night and ordering mortar bombardments that were only metres away from his position as he sought to get his blokes to safety. For this, he got a bar on his DCM, which is equivalent to getting a second one. And to this day, he wear, he's the only Canadian and only one of three blokes ever to receive the DCM twice in separate wars. So he's still getting it done in the, in the Korean War, still up to his usual tricks, you know, just ridiculous bravery, getting stuff done, unbelievable stones on this bloke, as I said. But after these wars were fought, Leo Major, he returned to Quebec and lived a pretty quiet and tidy life there, getting married and having four kids. Every now and again, he'd visit Europe and Svoller and, uh, you know, he kept in touch with some of the Dutch blokes that he'd met there during the Second World War. But for the most part, this fellow, he just disappeared into peaceful obscurity after he, his, uh, you know, all of his soldiering. And he finally died on the, on the 12th of October, 2008, after what, uh, what you have to say was a pretty bloody good innings in general, I would say. And I don't, I don't generally like the phrase war hero. I'm not the biggest fan of those words. It's because, you know, the kind of images that they conjure here. But this bloke was a dead set legend. And, and if you're going to use the phrase war hero to describe someone, it may as well be Leo Bloody Major because this bloke absolutely typified everything that was, you know, that was right about the people, the, the, you know, the young men going and fighting in these conflicts. He was a little bit more modest about his achievements, however, you know, than the sort of the adulation that I'm heaping upon him here because, uh, you, you know, remember that newspaper article that I talked about where he said he looked like a pirate? Uh, in that article, when he, you know, he was asked about his exploits and asked to sort of give a, give a summation of, of his achievements there, he said, I fought the war with only one eye and I did pretty good. I have to say, I have to say, just imagine what he would have done with two. But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Leo Major and his exploits during the Second World War. As I say, this bloke, an absolute hero. I don't think there's any uh, any doubt about that. We are going to wrap up the show here. We? I don't know. I mean, who's in the... I don't know who the we is when we're wrapping up the show. I guess it, you, I guess you, the listener, are also... You know, we're going to... Wrap, it's a communal effort to wrap up this show, so we're going to do it together, and we're going to do it by listening to me list off some uh, some boring announcements, so I'll get through them very quickly. Halfhousehistory.net is the website for this podcast. You can find all the episodes there and links to uh, the Twitter page where I post a... Uh, an almost daily historical fact, a little link to a website that I've been reading through I had a look at that I found interesting. Uh, you can also find the Patreon if you want to chuck us a few bucks. Obviously, no obligation to do that whatsoever, but I do appreciate it. Halfhousehistory at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch with me. Uh, thank you to all the people who've got in touch with me. Um, I want to say I've been given a lot of episode ideas and I've been doing research about all that sort of stuff, as you may have noticed with some of the Twitter links that I've been putting out. Uh, I just want to say that there is a huge lead time for these episodes. It won't. It'll be several months before any new um uh new suggestions get put in because I, I you know i'm recording this weeks ago essentially from when you're listening to it uh, i like to keep a very very long buffer of them ahead so if you suggested an episode there is a very very good chance i'm gonna i'm gonna do uh, an episode on it but it won't be for a long time so you know you'll have to you'll have to watch out for it anyway uh, thank you again for anyone who's got in touch, uh, including the people who've got in touch uh, asking for stickers. I've got stickers to send out. I'm going to send them to you free of charge if you send me your address. No worries at all. And thanks to the people who are tweeting about them sending uh, out pictures of the of the stickers that I sent out. I'm more than happy to send you them as well for free. Just uh, send us through your address, halfhousehistory at gmail.com. That's that. Going to wrap things up, of course, with a question from uh, from Reddit here. A Reddit historian, T. Earl Grey Hot 1701 not quite sure what was going through their head when they decided on that particular screen name, but good on them all the same. We've done a lot of chat. Uh, we've had a lot of chat about the Second World War today, and T. Earl Grey Hot wants to know: 
If blondes are so dumb, then how do they come so close to taking over the world during the Second World War?